Glad to uh, be able to start the kids' program back up. And if you didn't hear, we're, we are, we got the volunteers we needed to, to do it weekly. So we're going to start it up weekly now. Thank you all for stepping up to the plate. Really appreciate that. Well, friends, let's, uh, let's go ahead and, and get into our, our scripture for this morning. I want to start by asking you a question, a series of questions. It's about hope. Hope. What gives you hope? What do you hope for? What do you hope happens in your life? What is hope? Here's a definition I heard recently. Hope is hearing the music of the future. I like that. Hope is hearing the music of the future. Faith is dancing to it. This Easter Sunday Sunday in the year of our Lord, 2021, my prayer for us is to receive the gift of hope, and having received it, that we might begin to dance. Let's begin with prayer. Holy Spirit, give us this hope, we pray, as we listen for your word. Help us to hear the music of God's good future, grounded as it is in God's past intervention. Upon hearing your word, help us to receive it in faith and trust so that we might pull out our old dancing shoes again and rejoice in what you have done for us and for our world. We pray all this in the name of the risen Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hope is an interesting word. So often when we talk about hope, we're not talking about it in the way the Bible talks about it. In everyday conversation, we often use the word hope to talk about what we wish would happen. Even if we're not very confident that it will happen, we still say that we hope for it. What we really mean is that we wish for it. I hope the Cubs win the World Series. It's probably not going to happen. <laughs> not to step on it. Oh, I'm sorry, I stepped on some toes there, I could tell. <laughs> I hope for a warm spring. Maybe, but there's a chance it could be cold. I hope we can return to life as normal, perhaps but uncertainty persists. In our everyday language, hoping is often wishing, but not so in the Bible. But yes, so in our conversational speech. Hoping is often wishing. We wish something would happen, but then we use the more hopeful word, hope, to express the wish. You want a new job? You don't tell your friends, I wish I get the job. You say, I hope I get the job. Now here's why I'm giving you an English lesson that you never asked for. I want you to see the difference between our wishing and Christian hope. Our wishing and Christian hope. You see, wishing for an outcome is very different from hoping in God. Some of our wishes never come true, but hoping in God never fails. Let me put it like this. The hope of Easter which we will soon read about. The hope of Easter is a solid, concrete thing. This is no wish upon a star. This is hope grounded in history. The scriptures speak of this hope as something that will never disappoint. The author of Hebrews calls the hope of Easter a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Of the soul. I don't know about you, but I know my soul could use some anchoring today. The world is a windy, wavy kind of place, isn't it? 
It will toss and turn us, always threatening to undo us if we lack an anchor. Without an anchor, we will be like scared sailors always caught in storm. That's how we'll live our lives. We may try our best to wish away the fear, which will work some days better than others. Or we may try to distract away the fear by fiddling on our phones, searching for a better world by staring at a six-inch screen. Such is the desperate condition for those who lack an anchor for their souls. Wishing becomes the only recourse. The good news, however, is that the Easter story shows us another way. It gives us a heavy, solid anchor of hope. It does so by anchoring our hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But don't take my word for it. Hear it for yourselves from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, reading from the message. At the crack of dawn on Sunday, the women came to the tomb carrying the the burial spices that they had prepared. They found the entrance stone rolled back from the tomb, so they walked in. But once inside, they couldn't find the body of the master, Jesus. They were puzzled, wondering what to make of all this. Then, out of nowhere, it seemed, two men, light cascading over them, stood there. The women, the women were awestruck, and they, they bowed down in worship. The men said, Why are you looking for the living one in a cemetery? He is not here, but has raised up. Remember how he, remember how he told you, when you were still back in Galilee, that he had to be handed over to sinners, be killed on a cross, and in three days rise up. Then they remembered Jesus' words. They left the tomb and broke the news of all this to the eleven and the rest, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them, kept telling these things to the apostles. But the apostles didn't believe a word of it, thought they were making it all up. But Peter, Peter jumped to his feet and he ran to the tomb. He stooped to look in and saw a few grave clothes. That's all. He walked away puzzled, shaking his head. This is the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, for this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The empty tomb does not give us hope. The empty tomb in and of itself does not give us hope. It did not immediately give the women hope either when they came upon the empty tomb. It did not give Peter hope when he saw for himself the truth of the woman's claim, women's claim. The body was not there. The empty tomb requires an explanation for them and for us. Without such an explanation, the empty tomb is but an empty sign. Now, there are various explanations about the empty tomb that are founded not on hope, but on cynicism and suspicion. Both ancient and contemporary skeptics have offered many such explanations of the empty tomb. Perhaps the women went to the wrong tomb. They were overwhelmed by grief, after all, and not in a good state of mind. Perhaps Jesus' body was stolen. Grave robbery was well known in the first century. Perhaps Jesus' disciples hid the body somewhere. 
in a grand conspiracy to continue the movement of Jesus by, fat, by spreading this fabricated miracle. While these alternative explanations of the empty tomb can be carefully disproven, that's not the task before us today. The point that presents itself before us now is this. The bare fact of an empty tomb doesn't tell us much. As verse 4 says, when the woman, women from Galilee first saw the empty tomb, they were puzzled, wondering what to make of it. The fact needs interpreted. Thanks be to God, that's what happens. And that's when hope begins to emerge for these first disciples of Jesus. Hope begins to emerge not at the side of a sign, but hope begins to emerge through the spoken word. It is the spoken word of the two men, later identified as angels, that ignites Easter hope within. Why do you look for the living among the dead, they say? He is not here, but he has been raised. Submit to you that this is one of three ways God gives us hope to this Easter Sunday. First, God gives us hope through the spoken word. This is why preaching quickly became an essential task of the first followers of Jesus. But when I say preaching, I mean something quite simple. Back then, preaching was the simple yet profound proclamation that Jesus had been raised. The simplicity of that first spoken word, it makes sense when you put yourself in first century shoes. And the hope that this spoken word would have instilled makes sense when you put yourself in their shoes. So imagine yourself in this generation and in this location where people saw and heard and knew Jesus of Nazareth personally. Imagine yourself in this generation and in this location where people had witnessed his horrific and tragic death on the cross. In such a context, all that needed to be said in a sermon was that was the same thing the two angels said to the women. He is not here, but has been raised. When understood in this context, the spoken word does not sound like too weak of a witness to give us hope. When understood in its context, The spoken word is all that is needed to give us more hope than we'd ever need. Hope not in ourselves, hope not in the goodness of humanity, but hope in God who raises the dead. He is not here. Jesus is not to be found in the empty tomb, for he has been raised. This simple yet profound spoken word is the first way God seeks to anchor our souls today in a sure and steadfast hope. After these opening words, the two men, who are later identified as angels, they continue to instill hope into these women, and they do so by appealing to their memory. Verse 6, Remember, remember how he told you, while you were still back in Galilee, that he had to be handed over to sinners to be killed on a cross and in three days rise up. Then, the text says, they remembered 
Jesus' words. So I submit to you that the second way God wants to anchor your soul in hope is by asking you to remember. Remember Jesus' words. For the first disciples, this meant remembering what he had said would happen before it happened. Jesus said clearly that he would have to suffer and die before he was enthroned. But, like us, they had a hard time wrapping their minds around this idea. It's an idea that he had to lose in order to win. It doesn't make sense much to us, neither did it to them. I will first lose before I win, Jesus essentially said, and it is in my losing that I will take home the trophy. That was Jesus' prophecy. Didn't make sense to them, doesn't make sense to us. How could the loss of a Savior's life amount to his victory over evil? The women of Galilee on Easter morning are the first to discover how. They are asked by the angels to remember Jesus' words. And as they remembered, the missing pieces of the puzzle all began to come together. Aha! When we were traveling with Jesus to celebrate the Passover, we had no idea. He was the Passover lamb, the sacrifice of the Son for the sin of the world. As they remembered Jesus' words, the spark of hope that had first been ignited with the spoken word, as they remembered, it became a blazing bonfire of hope. That's what remembering Jesus did for them, and that's what remembering Jesus does for us, too. It fans into flame the kind of hope that has the power to anchor and secure our souls. Shortly, we will, in fact, remember Jesus in the very way Jesus instructed us to remember him, by participating in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, by eating his body broken for us, drinking his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. That's what we're doing here. We are remembering Jesus. First, Easter gives us hope through the spoken word. Second, Easter gives us hope through the act of remembrance. And the third way Easter gives us a sure and steadfast hope is discovered in the example of Peter. You may have noticed that hope is not automatically transferred into anyone's account in the scripture text. It's not automatically moved over, put in people. It's quite possible, according to our text, to hear the spoken word and even to remember Jesus' words and still lack hope. It's exactly what happens with the 11 male disciples, including their eventual leader, Peter. Eugene Peterson's paraphrase captures the ancient Greek language well. Listen again to verse 9. After the, woman, after the women heard the spoken word of the angels, and after the women had remembered Jesus' prophecy about himself, their hope began to swell into this massive bonfire. And here's what they do, verse 9. It says, The women left the tomb, they broke the news of all of this to the eleven and the rest, and they kept on telling these things to the apostles, the news about Christ's resurrection. But listen to this. It says, The apostles 
the male apostles, they didn't believe a word of it. They thought they were making it all up. <laughs> the Greek word worth some attention here is the word leros. Can you say that after me? Leros. The word is used only here in the New Testament. And it's translated by some as nonsense or idle tale or useless chatter. That's what the men thought of the women's testimony. It was nonsense. Leros <laughs> was a word used in the ancient world and in the med- medicine, about, about medicine. It described uh, the delirium caused by high fever. <laughs> It was also used to describe sarcastic conversation, leros. The 11 eventual leaders of the church heard the spoken word of Jesus' resurrection. They remembered Jesus, who was more familiar to them than anyone else, and they thought it was all nonsense. You may already know that in the ancient world, women were not trusted to testify in court. According to the ancient Jewish historian Josephus, women were disqualified, and I'm not advocating this, but this is what he wrote, women were disqualified from testifying in court on account of their giddiness and strong emotions. It's a sermon for another day, but the fact that God chose first to reveal the gospel to women is a staggering thing. But the point for right now is when the 11 disciples heard and remembered, hope was not stirred within them. Instead, they wallowed in their despair. They explained away the women's testimony by falling prey to the world's prejudice toward women. So we shouldn't be surprised, my friends, when people today do not experience hope when they hear the good news of Easter. We should not be surprised when people today Do not experience hope, even in remembering Jesus' words. Trust is required. Faith is required. Trust in the testimony of these women. Returning to the opening quote of the sermon, hope is hearing the music of the future. Faith is dancing to it. I won't dance for you. (laughs) We need to do more than hear the music if we want to possess a sure and steadfast anchor for our souls, we must also dance to it. We must also trust. We must also have faith. But thankfully, there is one more way God gives us hope. God gives us hope through the spoken word. God gives us hope through the act of remembrance. God also gives us hope in a third way. And it's discovered in the example of Peter. He, Peter, is surely among those who first considered the words of the women as nonsense. But nevertheless, and this is important, nevertheless, Peter began to doubt his doubts. He began to doubt his doubts. (laughs) I suspect the Spirit of God helped his brain out a bit by giving him this idea, this nagging question. What if, what if, Peter, what if it's true? Perhaps you're at a place in your life when you're asking the same question. What if? (laughs) What if hope can emerge from the depths of despair? What if your losses and failures in life 
actually lead to new life, salvation in Christ? What if? Peter's what if makes him a detective. Actually, according to Luke, it makes him a world-class sprinter. Verse 12, Peter jumped to his feet and ran to the tomb. He stooped to look in and saw a few grave clothes, but that's all. He walked away puzzled, shaking his head. So finally, let me give you the third and final point plainly. The third way God wants to give you hope this Easter is through a first-hand experience with the living Christ. A first-hand experience with the living Christ. This is the icing on the cake. True, Peter did not experience the living Christ on his first attempt, but neither did he experience a dead Christ. That's important. It may take some time for you as well to experience the risen Christ, but as this Christ himself taught us, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened for you. Do this and Christ himself will come in and dine with you. Such sweet communion with the living God, the maker of heaven and earth, that's what provides a sure and steadfast anchor for our souls. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.